You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and the only podcast of its kind. Also remote workers. I have to make sure that I include that little tag in there, so I'm going I'm to work on that. Quick shout out this morning before we get started. Thank you to our sister company, J Hill Marketing, who is funding our very existence. We really appreciate your support. If you're looking to have a book published, J Hill Marketing is rolling out a new division called Bookmark that enables you to self-publish your book, retain your rights, and do this all at a fraction of the cost of what a publisher costs. Please go to J Hill with two L's, J Hill Mark. Dot com for more information. My guest today is a person I refer to as my Huckleberry. So I guess that means I'm Tom Sawyer. I'm a man. Dave Wren is a magician with words. His marketing acumen makes his clients better, more understood, and relatable. He coaxes people into scrambling for anything that's being sold. Some people are just born with the gift of speaking to an audience and appealing to them on a one-on-one level, and Dave Wren is one of those people. Since taking the J-Hill Marketing Editing course, and he was the first student, so he's like, he's patient zero, I'm guessing he's by now probably nearly tripled his investment, and it has been an absolute pleasure to work with him. He is funny and deep and zany, and today we are going to get a little deeper. We're going to discuss a subject that I can relate to really well, and that is not being the most comfortable flyer in the world. Even as we all peep out from behind our laptops, we still do have to interact face-to-face periodically, and that requires us to push our comfort levels. Dave recently took a trip overseas. He's going to tell us all about that and how he beat back that nasty bugaboo flying phobia. He'll also talk to us about some of the most challenging times in his life and how he conquered them as a person pushing himself for more and an entrepreneur who just didn't quit. Please welcome my Huckleberry, my delightful friend, Dave Wren. Hey, hell, that's a great intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I'm a truth teller. What's up? That's it. Yeah, I like that. When you're looking for stuff, I love to come in there and I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he did. Uh, Tom Sawyer, there, the, it was the movie Tombstone, and it was uh, Val Kilmer playing Doc Holliday, and somebody was looking to fight. And that he's the one who shows up, goes, I'm your Huckleberry. So that okay, means you're okay. looking for something, you're looking for trouble, you're looking for help. I'm your Huckleberry. I love it. I freaking love it. And that is exactly how I think of you, like top of mind. Also, my husband loves you. I just have to tell you that. He was like, he was like, we need more Daves. And he said, uh, we're going to take a picture of Dave. And as we're going to feed it into the 3D printer, and we're going to send it to him and say, we're trying to clone him. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need a big printer. Well, I was like, there's so much latent love for this man. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. So let's familiarize everybody with how you got here. And I mean, like, 
I know about your recent escapades and your achievements. I know that you've worked with Cole Van de Woostein, who is just um, absolutely outstanding in his field. I was like, that that name three times fast. You know what? Don't dare me because I will. (laughs) But I want to hear about your background more. Um, I know you have a million children. So you're a very fertile man, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I do. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, total of uh, six kids. Uh, my wife and I'll be married four years this April. You know, blending the family. We got teenagers and we got little ones. So, isn't that something? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It, it's it's crazy sometimes, but. It's good stuff. Um, yeah. You ever trip up on the little ones where you're like, I told you, you can't drive today. Oh, I'm sorry, you're seven. Yeah. Sorry. I got, got confused. not sure which one it is, right? That's right. So what's your background? So tell us, tell us how you got here because your story is interesting. You found your way into entrepreneurship and like you and I have known each other for a long time. We connected through the Good Men Project. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll say as far as the writing and the, the, my you know, freelancing there is, uh, I kind of Forrest Gump my way into the whole thing. Um, I had a background. I was worked on wall street close to 20 years in sales and trading. And, uh, you know, I moved down to, uh, Charlotte area about 16 years ago. And, um, you know, uh, from Wall Street, kept some, did some jobs, uh, you know, had my own little trading firm there. And when that wound down, I went into a completely different industry. And at the time, it, LinkedIn had continued to grow. And, and I said that was going to be uh, what I'd focus on to kind of build my business in sales. I was uh, selling data. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was just going to be the way that I could try to grow that business because I had, I didn't, I really didn't know what I was doing uh, as far as the, uh, the industry. And so I just knew that I could, uh, I knew that I could sell. I've been in some form of sales for uh, years and years. So I started to, um, I always wanted to publish something and I did. And I had been, I'd written for a long time, just personally, I never had the courage to hit publish on anything. And uh, I knew I would have to put myself out there. So I started writing about my sales escapades and uh, I would hit publish in the article and it got some traction. And, uh, you know, I just, it encouraged me, you know, it started with, uh, you know, getting hired in a really high pressure type of sales Mm -hmm. job and being banned from the city of Richmond, Virginia. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, you can't just say that. We can skip right. (laughs) No, we cannot skip right over that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and I was in my early 20s, and I worked for this long-distance telecom, you know, business you know, going door to door, business to business. I've been escorted out of some, most or all of the uh, uh, office buildings in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, you know, you really were taught like the foot in the door, the uh, yeah. say, oh, you know, I thought that no solicitation sign was a no smoking sign. Did you have an appointment? <laughs> That's exactly why I'm here. And when the person came out and said, 
we have an appointment. I said, oh, no, no, they must have misunderstood. I made it a point in my day to, it was really shady, but that's the way that they taught you. And uh, so they were, they were interested in seeing if they could open an office in Richmond. They sent teams of us down there, uh, five teams of two people. And I was cold calling with this other guy who was young and hungry and just was starving for a sale. But he let his frustration boil over and uh, he just insulted the owner of a business, swore at him and like, we better get out of here. And oh. we got out, we ducked into the closest business next to it, which turned out to be a bridal shop. So <laughs> two of us in there, it's like, no, we're just looking, you know, it really, <laughs> but he couldn't stand We're celebrating it. our love. Right. He couldn't stand it. So he had to like, you know, pitch this lady like, dude, it's a bridal you know, oh, it, you're not goodness. making long distance calls. We don't you know. <laughs> we were asked to leave there. And when we got out, it was uh, there was a motorcycle cop, just this uh, large man, motorcycle cop in, you know, in Richmond, Virginia is like, what you boys doing? Like, oh, oh. No. so the owner had told him what happened and just kind of questioned us. And the guy was like, look, my dad was a cop, NYPD. He was a homicide detective. So he taught me. Oh, what no way. Yeah. yeah, I never got away with anything. He didn't. I didn't get away with anything. But, you know, he taught me, you know, you're never going to win an argument with a, with a police officer. You just keep your mouth shut and you be respectful. So that's what I was doing. Yeah. But the other guy was like, look, officer, my time is money and you're wasting my time. <gasps> And I just kind of took a step back. I'm like, we're going to get tased or something. <laughs> and uh, so he just started asking questions. And he's like, well, here's the name of our president. You can call him, sir. And he's like, well, you just tell him not to open an office in Richmond. He's like, I better never see you boys in Richmond, Virginia again. Or I'll arrest you. So we left. And uh, <laughs> I haven't been back yet. I, you know, I've driven through it there. Uh, but, you know, and I just kind of try to speed through richmond just in case <laughs> just, speeding that's the way yeah. to do it so, when you're out, outrun them you know yeah so it was those sales escapades it was also when i started in retail brokerage i was a young stockbroker, you know making a couple hundred dials a day and uh you know it was just it, you were pushed and pushed and pushed to to make sales it really wasn't about relationships or you it was said relationships but it's like look get get the assets in get the client in move on to the next one so i wrote about that and just some funny things and uh you know i call the cold calling dead men so because a lot of times they call up and it'd be like uh he passed away and because i i had goals to me it's like well, well what have you done with the uh you know the life insurance money or the, Oh you know, my God. Uh, <laughs> again, look, I was in my early twenties. I didn't really know what I was doing. So, you know, yeah, oh it my was, God. So, you know, I was, so it was really kind of writing about those bad lessons I learned and trying to translate it into, you know, how I learned and how I grew up and, you know, how I use call, you know, the sales 2.0 today, you know, as far as social selling, yeah. uh, you know, just a, a different type of sales relationship. So, uh, and, and again, it took off and a, uh, a HubSpot editor saw one of my articles. She reached out to me and said, would you like to write some blogs on our sales blog? And I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, and it wow. didn't matter. I wasn't getting paid, but the exposure and, you know, we published a few. And then from there, next thing I know, people are asking me to, you know, do I ghostwrite blogs? So I do that. And I 
just said yes. And I started, it started as a side business. So again, as I say, a forest gumpton, it just kind of happened. And I feel very fortunate that it, that's, that's what it was. It just kind of happened. And so I wrote some, you know, and then other things I wrote personal things about personal development or evolving. And that's how I got, uh, you know, the good men project. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, you know, and so I just started doing a lot of different things and I guess it kind of, uh, you know, resonated with some folks who would reach out to me and then I started, you know, writing for them. And then I started actually marketing myself, you know, on purpose and getting more business on purpose. And, yeah. That. And, uh, <laughs> right. And then, you know, I got to a point where I, uh, you know, uh, more and more and I started doing, you know, full-time freelancing and then you know you and i connected on a number of things and it, it's been uh yeah it's been uh you know a, a kind of a wild ride so it, and it's been a lot of fun it, it's it is nice to you know get paid or earn income from something you really enjoy doing isn't that crazy too yeah. you were like you were discovered you were like the pamela anderson at yeah. the baseball game or you know, you were discovered. You don't hear about that a lot. People well, being discovered. That's how I used to describe it to people, right? I'm the Pam Anderson, and I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> but sure, I'm the it. Pam Anderson of copyright. They watch. Nice. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome, HubSpot. That's a big one. That's a really big one. Yeah, wow. it was uh, the editor. So it's a nice nice lady that i that i worked with and she's like you know it's a different take on sales and what we're doing and you know i started i, I then i was writing for a lot of uh SaaS firms SaaS related firms and mm-hmm. uh you know the crn like pipe drive uh sales loft uh it just you know a number of different startups and and it just kind of worked out and you know, it just, I guess it just connected with an audience and, you know, thankfully my, I had a background in it and it made it a little bit easier to write it because I had you know, real world experience. Well, and it can, it did connect with your background too. And really, and I think this is the missing component for entrepreneurs and business owners is that you need to have a strong sales background. Yeah. So many times this is not discussed. And so if you don't have that strong sales background, alternatively, then you need to line up pipelines for yourself, multiple pipelines to sure. ensure many different ways of earning income. And so it's fascinating to me, your left and right brained. I don't meet a lot of people like that. I usually just meet like the crazy artists that are like, I'm so impassioned. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to use this cat hair to create your likeness, you know. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> I guess maybe it's a balance there. I don't know. Maybe you know because I'm a, I'm a parent, so I've had well, I've had to have some responsibility. So I've got that mm-hmm. you know, kind of the practicality, but then there's still kind of the uh, the dreamer and the creative part that uh, I've been able to you know utilize. And I've always used humor in my sales, and you know, I think in a lot of my writing, that's what I try to do. I keep it casual. Try to have some kind of humor within it that helps keep the reader reading and engaged. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's kind of 
worked out for me. So, and I've yeah. always loved coaching, you know, I've always loved, uh, trying to help people. I coached, you know, all my kids growing up and I just loved it. And so we you know, call it coaching, encouraging. So it's nice when I get the opportunity to kind of give back and somebody's younger saying, Hey, you know, how'd you do this or what, you know, that I can make some suggestions or tell them what worked for me. And, you know, I, I've definitely had people help me along the way and you are mm-hmm. one of the, you, know, you are a big part of that. So, you know, I, I, if there's ways for me to give back, I try to, because I know it hasn't been, you know, as I said, some people reached out to me, but it's not like I open up my email every morning and there's tons of people saying, Hey, Dave, uh, write for me. You know, mm-hmm. there's work to do. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make it on my own if I didn't, market myself if I if I didn't put the uh, the work in so I appreciate the you know, referrals and everything but the referrals come as a result of work and networking and and you know trying and quality to, oh, but right well yeah you get you've got to have that and it, you know, it comes and you know if there was something that I couldn't do you know I would I would pass it on to somebody that knew it was more in their wheelhouse and yeah. I didn't really want it to be you know, baby's first project. Somebody's saying, Dave, can you do this? Like, yeah. And they become my beta tester. You know, it's like, I, it, it didn't that. Well, if you do that, if you do that, you can adjust the price. Cause I've done that yeah. before. And actually that's a nice little trial close. Sure. To just be upfront with people and say, I haven't done this before, exactly. but I'm ready to get started right now. If you're willing to be my Guinea pig, because sure. we'll learn this together. And there are so many people that are so receptive to that. All they hear is think I can do it and reduce costs. That's all. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. let's do this. And that's a great point. If you're transparent, say, look, I I don't, this really isn't my wheelhouse, but I, you know, I I can make it work for you. Yeah. So you let them know. Yeah. And you said the reduced price, like, look, I'm going to do this because you do it, you do it well. Now you got one under your belt. And then now you do have experience. Like, yeah, I can, I can definitely do that for you. Yep. Then you're, then you're able to price that market. So you continually push yourself and you're, and you seem very open to learning and having your, like, accepting coaching in your life as you are giving out coaching at the same time. So it's like, it's very reciprocal, but I think this also speaks to just your attitude. Like you look at something and go, all right, I either need more information on this. I'm going to work on this myself. I'm going to tackle this myself. And I'm segueing right into flying, right yeah. the hell. I'm just going to take you right back into that nightmare. And see. Yeah. <laughs> How did it go? It was, it, it, it was great. Uh, it, it was, it, it, it really, I, I did sleep a bit, you know, I, I'm not going to just say I sat there in some kind of meditative trance and did it, it did take, you know, enough Xanax to take out a baby rhino to get me there. But, you know, I, I, you know, again, it was all under doctor's orders and everything. And, uh, I, I did, I was able to get over my, my wife was with me and really helped me. And, you mm-hmm. know, we, you know, getting through TSA, I'm just going really slow because I'm drugged up, but it, oh, it just man. helped me because it used to be, that first flight, I mean, we're talking two months out and I'm stressing out thinking I'm going to yeah. die because yeah. 
you know, it's just, it's just, I'm like, I'm going to, I haven't done everything that I want to in life. I'm going to die. This thing's going down. You know, I'm thinking terrorism. I'm thinking claustrophobia. Then I get afraid that I'm going to have a panic attack on the plane and freak out and then freak other people out. And then I'm going to have to say, Hey, I got a bomb just so they'll land the thing. And even if I get locked up, at least I'm not on a plane. So those are things that would go through my head. I'd ruminate, perseverate on, and it just would just go, and it would be bad. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, boom, my mind's going. And and it, you know, it's hard to focus on what the task at hand is for the day. Uh, And it was, I mean, I I went 17 years without flying. Holy Hannah. Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, it was big. Significant. Me. And where'd to you go again? That. You went to Amsterdam? Uh, oh, recently went to Copenhagen. Uh, but my first flight was from uh, Baltimore back to Charlotte. And it was one way. And, and mm. I give credit to the guy I was working with uh, or for at the time. He said, look, you drive the trade show booth up there. I'll drive it back. You just got to fly one way. And okay. Get that flight under your belt because I'd driven from Charlotte to Denver, Charlotte to Austin. Holy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd had some long drives because of that fear. And I was supposed to go to um, Palm Desert. I was like, I can't drive all the way there. So did yeah. that. And actually, my wife flew up the night before to fly back with me. And we got through it and, or, you know, and it was, it was scary, but I got through it and then went on a few more shorter trips and, it's gotten better each time. Now this one was yeah. a big one. I, I hadn't gone you know, that, that far, but, uh, I, I tell you, you know, it was probably the, the week leading up to is when I started really kind of thinking about it, but it wasn't as debilitating in the past. So I think, you know, doing that and overcoming the, the flying opened up a lot of things for me because when I think about it, I played really small. Up until yeah. that point, I had missed out on either job opportunities. I missed friends of mine's marriages. Yeah. I missed yeah. funerals because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not flying there. You know, I, I can't fly, you know, across the country to go to this thing. I can't, I'm like, I'm not. It, it, so I just, uh, you know, it was very, very limiting. And so that was always in the back of my head. And then I'm like, you know, I'm never going to get to see you know, you know, any of the things that I want to, you know, like yeah. the opening, I'm like, I, I'm never going to see any of Europe other than, you know, what I see in pictures or in the uh, internet or what I, what I read. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, so I definitely, I was uh, overcome with some emotion when I got to Copenhagen and went to a museum there and I was like, gosh, I never thought I'd be able to do this. And, it's amazing. Uh, right. And then, of course, I had to take my laptop and sit in the cafe and do some writing because. You, I, uh, you in one cafe. Too, right. I'm like, hey, I'm you, in a cafe you, and I'm writing. <laughs> and so I did. You, it. you sat in like five cafes and then you'd upload pictures like I'm in another cafe writing. I'm in the writer's room. Strong dream. and wonderful there. So <laughs> I, I took advantage of it. Yeah, I tried to soak oh. it all in as much as I was there, and it was just a, a great opportunity to be there. It was, a, it was a great trip, and so, I, you know, it's still, for me, it, it opens things up because you know, that was, you know, one of my biggest fears. And then for my kids, they knew I had those fears, but it's good for me that they get to see that even at 50 <laughs> – yeah, uh, yeah. You know, dad's still got to work through stuff. You know, we all got our stuff, 
But, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I've got these fears. They're real, but they can see that, you know, even now I'm doing work to to get past it, to work through it. So any of the challenges they have, you know, because it's a tough time. They're teenagers. So that's, you know, it's a tough time. There's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of worry. There's just stuff that goes on. And it's like, hey, you know, you don't, you can walk through those fears. You know, if I can get through this, you can get through that. So I hope to, you know, set a good. That's great modeling. Yeah, that's great modeling. And how many teenagers do you have in your house right now? Uh, Four. Uh, Oh, let me just hit my knees and pray. Yeah, well, I have a (laughs) 17 year old daughter and then I have 16 year old triplets. It's uh, two boys and a girl. And then the little ones are uh, 10 and 6. Oh, the six-year-old isn't snarky yet. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Just cherish those. Yeah. Cherish those. Ones. Boy, you went above and beyond and having the teenagers, though. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. It was, it, it was definitely, it was a crazy time. Uh, you know, there's four kids and. 14 months or something like that or 16 months. Yeah. 14 months. So it's, uh, the Irish quadruplets. So it was a lot of, uh, I don't really remember the first six months of their life. I just didn't sleep at all. So it was, uh, it was crazy, but you know, so it's, but now it's just a whole different stuff to worry about, you know, you worry about, Hey, can you do a good job raising them and everything? And so I did for about eight years, uh, on my own, they'd be, you know, uh, just, you know, half the time with me, half the time with their mom and, uh, you know, the, just did the best that I could, uh, you know, be, That's all you can do. be the best parent I can be. And believe that's me, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Well, and, sure. Uh, but that's every parent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we just have to rip that veil right off and be like, yeah. you know what? Uh, nobody knows what they're doing. We're just doing the best that we can in the moment. And, you know, speaking of being in the moment, when I was on my last flight, I downloaded, I tried to down, I am the, I am so technologically deficient, but I tried to download this meditation so I could listen to it on the flight. And it talked about, and I can't remember if I told you this or not. But it talked about the fear of flying is actually the fear of the future. And so if you keep yourself like in your head, like I'm here in my seat and this is going well, like everything is fine. The person next to me is fine. You know, I'm enjoying this. Then you can kind of pull yourself out of it a little bit. I also found that, um, you know, I used to engage with other people on the flight, but I think there's a component of social anxiety to the fear of flying too, like you talked about. I'm going to have a breakdown. I'm going to have to force him to land the plane. Um, and I do the same thing where I'm like, what if I have a panic attack and I just absolutely go crazy and lose my mind? Yeah. Right here in front of everybody. Like what, you know, what if I start ripping my own skin off? Like, what? <laughs> Yeah. And then I become a terrible person because then I'm profiling everybody. My oh. wife got my eye in you, pal. Ah, you over there, watch it, you know, and it is, it's, those are the kinds of things I'm sitting there waiting. I'm like, wait, wait, are these people getting on our flight? Okay. I got my eye on you. Don't try anything. And yeah, yeah so it's, it's just, scary. there's just, there is different layers and different types of fears, you know, claustrophobia, terrorism, you know, plane going yeah. down, all different kinds of things. I knew all the statistics. I, I, you know, I knew logically 
that I, everything would be okay. But you're right. You know, it's the fear of the future. But for me, the fear of the future is like a minute ahead. I'm like, uh, you know, like, hey, in 10 minutes, I could be dead on takeoff. Or, hey, this could happen. So This is not helping me. It, it, it didn't have to be really <laughs> far out in the future. It could be just a couple minutes in the future. <laughs> I'm going backwards now because of what you just said. This there is not- it is. See, now I ruined it for you. But uh, Oh, my uh, goodness. It's gotten, oh, it, it's no, gotten easier. Yeah, it's gotten much easier. Well, that's good. That gives hope to a lot of people because we still do have to meet face to face. We still do have, like you said, everybody's got their stuff. Yeah. And so you were, you recently came to some realizations about being adopted too and what that means in your life in terms of how you react to things and that you're kind of predisposed to interpret different experiences. Sure. You know, well, Does you that make sense? That- you get that whole that rejection, so you get your the fear of rejection, abandonment, things like that. Uh, definitely feel things more than others. Uh, I know there was a time I was upset about something, and I there's a book written about it, and I actually emailed the author, kind of trying to blast her, I'm like, "How dare you write this stuff?" And then she's very kind, wrote back to me, said, "Dave, do you do this when this happens? This, that, this, that." And she had me nailed. I was like, oh, geez, uh, yeah, I do that. And so I came a little bit more open to uh, everything there, read it. And um, it's, uh, it, 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 it helped me, but it's still, you know, I guess the way that I uh, react and or respond to different things is because of that, you know, maybe that that deep seated stuff there like that, that fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment and uh, you know, and also kind of having that chip on my shoulder. I have to prove myself like, Hey, you know, you, you left me. And so I got to prove that everything, you know, that I'm worthy of this, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a great life. My, my parent, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I was adopted, you know, I was like, you know, 30 days old. I mean, when, you know, back then it's like, it had to, you know, just wait a few days. And, uh, yeah. you know, so I, my parents are my parents. I, I did recently realize my, my birth parents were, you know, like 17 year old kids. Oh, so, you know, there was always that wondering like, Hey, was this or that? And so it helps me, you know, kind of understand, but then I wonder, I'm like, Hey, I might have, you know, uh, half brothers and sisters out there, some kind of siblings. And because it was in New York, they don't give you any info. I just kind of got, you know, they're 17-year-old Irish Catholic kids mm. uh, in, you know, in, you know, relatively good, sturdy health. I'm like, you know, I'm looking for medical stuff. Like, hey, does cancer run in the family, this or that? Like, I get nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. two 17-year-old healthy kids. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> what do I do with that? So, you know, there's a lot of answers. And, and I tell you what, there, I mean, there's a number of groups that I see on Facebook about adoptees and it, it it's it's sad that, that it has had some you know bad effects on some folks. Now they haven't had the you know maybe the good childhood that I had. You know that maybe their adoptive family wasn't as nice, and it you know but they definitely it sounds like they struggle, and and it is it's it it's really it, it really messes with people in their head. And you know, and I realize when I look back on things, 
you know, I, I definitely take things really hard as far as what I, what I perceive as rejection. Like you and I could add like, Hey, I'm going to meet you for coffee. And mm-hmm. then you're like, Dave, I got to, you know, Oh, I got to cancel on you. Cause I got this over here. Like I would take, I would get really upset about that. Like, why, what's wrong with me? Why can't you cancel that other thing? Why, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it would really kind of affect me. Of course, you know, it's like you have something legitimate you got to do, but things like that, just as innocuous as that could be the kind of thing that just kind of, you know, derails me you know, in the past or it would, I would just like it derails you a right, little bit. I don't know. I would say derail, but it definitely had an effect. And, uh, yeah. it's, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's so, it's like, it's, it's a trauma, you know, I don't, you it know, is a trauma. You know, yeah. you're born, your mother doesn't hold you. It's, it's called the primal wound. And, and so for me, it kind of makes sense. And the lady who wrote the book on it, it, it did make a lot of sense. Like you're, you're not, you're not held. You're not getting that comfort. You're not getting that bond. And then you don't, as you grow up, you don't have that, what they call mirroring. Like, you know, do I have the same mannerisms as, you know, uh, a biological parent do I, you know, oh. and you know, it, it was, it, so, you know, it's like, maybe you don't look like your birth parent. You know, as I got older, I really kind of looked like my dad. So you know, it, it was great. But when I was younger, it's like, okay. And then I just became aware, like, okay, am I different? And now my family did everything they could, you know, that, very inclusive and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But with that knowledge, I still knew I was like, I'm different or, Hey, if I got in trouble, I'm like, are you, do you guys regret, you know, picking me out that kind of stuff? Oh God. So that's really, yeah. that's, that's really deep. That goes, that goes beyond like, I'm in trouble. Um, I'm safe. You know, like kids have to feel safe. That really right. goes beyond that. But you just keep, challenging yourself and i'm wondering whether it's facing flying whether it's facing a reaction that you're not crazy about in yourself what does your self-talk look like in your what's your pep talk in your head uh you know i i just know that i've gone through a lot of stuff that it's like look you've been through you know some really rocky you know, job losses, you know, of course, you know, being a single parent, things like that, mm-hmm. it just a lot of different challenges. Like, you know, I made it through some, for me, really rough things. Yeah. And I can, if I got through that, I can get through this, right? I can, I can do it. Uh, and then trying to have a lot of gratitude. I got some good friends and, you know, there are people that have m- you know, I was told like, Hey, if you come to the table with all your problems, listen to everybody else's problems, you'll walk away with your own. You're not going to, you're not going to swap. Right. Yep. So there's, yep. Uh, you know, I've got a good friend that, you know, that when I, when I was definitely swirling in some stuff, he's like, you know, and I'm complaining about things and really just not having any gratitude and really just whining. He's like, why don't we go on over to the, uh, you know, the pediatric oncology ward at the hospital? Mm. Why don't you go visit there and then come back and tell me about all the tough things you got going on? So that was, you know, big doses of humility. Uh, 
yeah, yeah. Starting to think like it could be a lot worse. Me, I've got you know relatively good health. I've got healthy children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's you know, I got I got cars. I got roof over my. I, you know, I, it's you know, yeah. I, I you know when you see what's out there, I don't have a lot you know, to complain, but I still do. I mean, I'm still complaining. <laughs> well, me. you're I you're human. Or hey, I bet you know. I, uh, you know, I deserve it. I use that. I use that gauge though. I I do the same thing where I'm like, okay, throw your problems in a pile. What are you going to pick out other people's problems or your own? So I want to wrap this up on a lighthearted note with you. So I want to play a little game. Okay. Okay. A little, a little game. You can't cheat either. Well, you can't cheat anyways. It's a word association game. So you can't cheat. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) I'm going to say a word. You give me one word back and then a brief explanation of why you selected that word. So some people who have played this game don't know how to do it right. And they've said actual sentences and that's not what we're looking for here. So we're just like one, one, one word and then an explanation yeah. why I gave, I chose that word. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I Are you ready? The rules. Okay. And go. <laughs> okay. Huckleberry is the answer. <laughs> You win! There you go. All right. Nice talking to you. All right. Let's, that's All right. Word. All right. Here's the first word, skydiving. No way. Oh, that's two words. <laughs> okay. Do you why, want to- why? Because I just got over fly. You know what? I, I'm able to get in a plane and fly somewhere. I see no reason to jump out of a perfectly good plane. A perfectly good plane. Like, it's a waste of the plane, isn't it? A waste of money. It's what? Okay. The second word, lottery. Legacy. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. that if you win the lottery, there's a lot of good things that I can do with it. I'd like to, you know, I, I've thought of this before, right? Like, hey, if I won the lottery, what would I do? How would I help? Like, you know, I'd make sure everybody in like extended families or kids are going to college funding all of that. So yeah. So it's like, Hey, to do, of course I, you know, I, I, I'd have a good time with all that money, but (laughs) you know, I I see a lot of the stuff going on, you know, out there. I mean, on Facebook and we talked about, it's like, I see a lot of stuff that goes on. I'm 50, you know, there's people I know that are dying. Yeah. They're, you know, either siblings or spouses are dying. Like, that's tough. And then it's well, like, look at you know, Luke Perry. He just died yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And he's a massive too, stroke. Right? There's people in high school, you know, their husband passes away. And they yeah. got kids, right? So, what, you know, what, what can you do? So, you know, you, you can't solve every problem. But it's like, hey, you know, it, it, it would put me in a position to be able to, to not only help, the, you know, the my immediate family and the people that I love, but other people as well. So I'd like to think that I'd uh, be able to do some good with it. Wonderful. Wonderful. That, that is so heartwarming. I love that. Always thinking of others first, always. All right. Your third word is sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Funny, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
I think of sarcasm as dry humor, so it cracks me. I, I, if somebody's got good timing and using sarcasm, you know, it doesn't always have to be uh, in a negative, evil way. You can be sarcastic and funny and, uh, you know, good wit about you, too. A million percent. That's so true, though. Like, we, we really need to kind of refresh comedy a little bit. All right, your fourth word. Oh. Birth control. <laughs> Catholic. Catholic. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, yeah. There you have it. There it there is. You have it. Catholic. <laughs> no, yeah. There's no such thing, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> we want to run afoul of Holy Mother Church. So there you go. Um, All right. Are you ready for your final word? My final word. All right. Glockenspiel. Um, John, uh, John Palatucci. John Palatucci. Was my first music teacher. <laughs> oh, very yeah, good. Yeah. Very good. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a name, but he, uh, that man had a lot of passion for teaching young kids about music. Now, I don't think there was a glockenspiel there, but I know about it because of him. So there you go. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today. It really means a lot to me personally. And I know that people have been waiting to hear from you also. So I really appreciate you sharing the air with me today. Thank you for having me. You got it. Celebrating Dave Wren's left and right brain today. We all have hurdles in life that we need to overcome And one of the most beautiful things that happens when we do overcome them and when we figure out a way around our anxieties and fears is when we share what we've done to improve our lives with others. Dave is not afraid to go first. He is not afraid to let people in and empathize with them about what life is really like. It's not a sanitized Facebook post. It's not a perfectly clean baby in a basket. It's not a shiny puppy in a field of strawberries. Life is messy, but that doesn't mean that you don't keep pushing yourself. Dave is also extremely talented. I can't say enough about that. And has the natural ability to bring words, missions, and messages to life. I work with him on a fairly regular basis. And he has been trained with some of the best copywriters in the business, helping one percenters. If you would like to work with Dave as well, please go to com, And we'll have that information on the website as well, the SickBiz website. Just going to keep you here for a minute longer and invite you to head on out and buy my book, Sick Success, The Entrepreneur's Prescriptions for Turning Pain into Purpose and Profit, now available at Barnes & Noble. I'd also love to invite you to my book signing event, April 18th at the Barnes & Noble Galleria in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 6.30 p.m. All are welcome. And get this, we're actually having a book signing in the midst of a bar that's in the bookstore. I don't know of a more appropriate location, and I'm super duper, duper de duper stoked to be able to do this with the people that mean so much to me, including you. That's it for today's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. I'm going to grab a lozenge. Until next time, be well. <laughs>